our schools had less facilities, less educational material. Our teachers were taught substantially less, even with advanced degrees compared to white counterparts. But even with that, we have produced some of the most brilliant minds in the world. And HBCU graduates are providing leadership throughout this world and throughout this country. You're listening to Illogical by Truth. This podcast decodes the language, decisions, and hidden areas of local power that often seems illogical to residents. The goal of this podcast is to empower people to engage locally and to understand how significant it is to be aware and active at the local level. Once local government is logical, it will become meaningful and provide the benefits that allows for people to live a thriving life. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Illogical by Truth, and we have a very special guest today, someone who I had the chance to admire from afar and up close. I remember when I was hired by the NAACP, I realized how intertwined historical Black institutions are. Uh, and I've, I've seen where um, fraternities, sororities, HBCUs sort of um, uh, organizing or act, activism organizations or advocacy organizations all existed as one unit to produce freedom for black people. And then that's the moment I, I began to see the ripples of your leadership uh, touch me. And I want to introduce Dr. Everett Ward um, through a story. Uh, so I was a principal in Southeast Raleigh, and uh, the, the school I was a principal of uh, had long-term suspended students. In my school, kid, people don't normally visit. I don't normally don't get guests. Even the parents rarely come and visit their kids while they're at our school. Most of the kids are suspended from their schools. So usually this is like a dumping ground for mm-hmm. kids who are having trouble. And at the time, I was located in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, I was in southeast part of the city, and uh, Dr. Ward was president of uh, St. Augustine College uh, University. And uh, I called him and said, I would love if you can come and visit our school. And we had, a, we had a garden in the school, and you came over, and you talked about your story of having to live on a farm, and you talked about the different um, vegetables that we had in the garden and the, store, and the significance it had to you and what you remember as a child. And so with that, Dr. Ward, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, Dr. Ruth, and thank you for the invitation to be here, and thank you for remembering that uh, story. <laughs> I remember it uh, very well, yes. and about the uh, creative leadership that you were providing oh, you. to uh, our young people in the community. Uh, I didn't live on a farm, but I had very fond memories of mm. uh, gardens and uh, what St. Augustine's was at, yeah. at that time. Uh, in its earlier days, we had farms. Wow. And our students would farm on the campus wow. and grow their own uh, vegetables. And, wow. Uh, so now when I hear about organic gardens <laughs> and uh, other things, I think about uh, 1867. Wow. And wow. Uh, what our students were 
ahead of themselves wow. at that time. So it's an honor to be here with you. So, Dr. Ward, we're glad to have you here. Um, you've held so many positions that are embedded in with historical significance in, in, in the black community, including um, being a former HBCU president, being a formal national president of Alpha Phi Alpha, among others. Um, what led you to leadership in these areas, and how does these roles create alignment in your story? Well, I think um, all politics is local, mm. and that's where it all began. Um, I was very fortunate. Uh, I am originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, mm. uh, generational person here. My father was a precinct chairman wow. and owned his own <laughs> business. And then my mother worked in corporate America, but she was a registrar. So my sister and I were very fortunate that we could see public service. Mm. And, you know, coming from a family that was committed to helping your local community. National was not ever in my um, horizon. Yes. But what we were always taught and what my life experience was and continues to be is making life better mm. for your community. That's good. If that leads to state, regional, and national really opportunities, good. all well and good. But everything starts at the local, making sure the schools in your community wow. are serving the needs of all children, making sure governmental resources mm. that are built on the taxes of all citizens mm. are equally distributed really across good. the city, across the state, and across the country. So that's that's what started. And then also education has always been paramount mm. uh, for us. Yes. You know, growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, I tell people I had the benefit mm. of being around Shaw University, oh, yeah. 1865, wow. St. Augustine's in 1867. Wow. You can't imagine what influence that has on a young person to be able to see college professors, college presidents who were family friends. Uh, You know, Dr. James Alexander Boyer, seventh president of St. Augustine's, Mm. Dr. Prezell Robinson, the eighth president, all personal family friends. Uh, Elizabeth Cofield, professor at Shaw University, working with Ella Baker and students. So, you know, wow. that was my life experience and continues to be. Wow. And that's why I want to make sure future generations have that same benefit. I've had the opportunity to hear you speak quite often. And what amazed me about your, your message that you deliver, I remember one time you talked about how the bricks that people walk on right now when they're on St. Augustine's College was laid by your ancestors. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about some non-unknown figures in history that's right. linked to you. Like right. you're naming names. Yes, <laughs> you're, yes, you're, yes, you're naming, yes. so, 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 so the, the, how that land where the bricks lay is taken care of, it's, it feels like it's a personal. Oh, it is. Hmm. It's, it's my DNA. Ah, that's uh, good. You know, St. Augustine's had the only hospital hmm. built by students, hmm. St. Agnes Hospital. Wow. And it was the primary medical facility for our people for many years. And I had the good fortune, along with many people, uh, to be born in that hospital, persons who received medical care there. So when I look at 
the stones yeah. and knowing that those stones were quarried by students and oh, built by good. students. That's good. And my great uncle was a student there yeah. who, with no money, wow. was admitted to St. Augustine's. And as a part of his admittance, he helped work on the campus, helped build the hospital wow. that his great nieces and nephews would be born wow. in some many years later. So for me, our HBCUs is the lifeblood of our wow. community. That's good. You know, so all of the cultural, intellectual, medical foundations were yeah. on the campus of our oh, HBCUs. So we good. can't forget that Shaw University had Leonard Medical School. It had a school of pharmacy. It had a law school. Wow. And we had a hospital. Wow. Howard University, dental school, medical school. Wow. So the medical professionals that came into this, were in this country, wow. looked like us. Many of them came from th those institutions. Wow. I, I, I want to I wanna touch on... Um, that role a little bit later because it, you're talking about a wave of middle class. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a wave of just a different tier in terms yes. of class and who you are and, and who you are to society. Um, but I want to I want to um, I want to ask uh, a question really quick. We started our podcast with a look at Shaw University that's located in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the capital of North Carolina. And we use the legacy of Ella Baker and SNCC to lay the foundation for why local government is not only critical, but it's important to the state and the country. Yes. Um, what happened in Shaw with Ella Baker changed the country? And some of our listeners may or may not know that all of this was birthed in an HBCU. Does this idea that SNCC and what they were able to produce it, how it changed the country, changed our state, changed our communities. Did it surprise you that that was birthed out of an HBCU? No, not at all. Because mm -hmm. if you understand the history of, of HBCUs, all students and faculty and administrators who work at HBCUs understood that we have a dual mission. Ah, that's good. Our mission is not only to that's educate... Good but to create a, a forum for the development of leaders. Mm. So HBCU students leave understanding that they have a dual mission. Mm. So you may be a chemistry major, That's you good. may be a business major, That's but good. you understand and you understood that your academic preparation was not only to excel in your academic and career aspirations, but there also comes with that a high level of responsibility mm. in the area of leadership. Mm. So you have, for example, a doctor, uh, a Dr. James Shepard, okay. to leave Shaw University with mm. a pharmacy degree. Mm. But when you read his life story, he becomes the founder of North Carolina wow. Central University. Wow. He advocates for wow. a law school at North Carolina Central. Really he becomes a part of, of the building of a financial development in mm. Durham with North Carolina Mutual That's and Mechanics right. and Farmers Bank. Wow. So from St. Augustine's, you have a Ralph Campbell, wow. who's a graduate business administration major, but mm. becomes one of the first 
blacks elected statewide wow. in the state of North Carolina in 1992. Wow. So there, and the list goes on and on and on throughout the country. So there's not a HBCU in this country mm -hmm. that you can name that you didn't have students to walk through those so gates strong. and become servant leaders, mm -hmm. but also excel professionally in their careers as well. Wow. So that duality of, under, of understanding. Now, now, in that duality, what role, what role does the le does the legal um, restrictions around education of Black people play in sort of the birth? Because because what I hear often are individuals who only see the see the value of HBCUs historically. They go, oh, we, we. I can understand since you weren't allowed to go to school, Polly Murray couldn't go to UNC, so she, mm -hmm. she, they took right. NC Central was That's created, right. and so they made that an alternative. That's right. She to went to Howard's Law School. That's right. That's and, right. And most people see it historically. What is that narrative historically? Like, why, why was HBCUs birthed? Like, what, what is that sort of? Well, I think we have to, uh, Dot Roof, put it in a historical context. Okay. We can never forget that our enslaved ancestors mm -hmm. did not have access mm -hmm. to education. It was against the law mm -hmm. for you to teach enslaved or free African-Americans wow. how to read and write. That's a narrative that's often left that's out right. of the American that's right. story. That's right. That's right. So you think about for hundreds of years, mm -hmm we were denied, mm. legally mm. denied, and through violence mm. that you could not teach our ancestors how to read and write. Wow. And so it was in 1837 mm. that Cheney University was founded wow. and became the first HBCU in this country. Mm. So just think about from 1837, wow. 186 years wow. is the period that we had access to higher education. Wow. However, Harvard was founded in 1636. Wow. So even with mm. that vast span of hundreds of years, so Harvard 200 plus years mm. of educating right. a population, right. Cheney 186 wow. to today, Wow. But even with that, what wow. we have done as a people yeah. is unprecedented. Yeah. When you think about the odds, the segregation, yeah. the lack of material, yeah. and it wasn't until the Brown decision yeah. in this country that segregation was ended. Mm. So our schools had less facilities, yeah less educational material. Mm. Our teachers were taught substantially less, mm. even with advanced degrees mm. compared to white counterparts. But even with that, we have produced some of the most brilliant mm. minds in the world. That's good. And HBCU graduates are providing leadership throughout this world wow. and throughout this country. Wow, I, I remember... Uh, watching a documentary on Pauli Murray. Yes. And she was fascinated by the room she walked in when she seen not just 
the NAACP attorneys mm -hmm. that were there, but she was impressed with the rigor, the brilliance, the cutting edge, sort of legal minds that was sitting at Howard. Oh yes. And and when I when I tell that story in my classes at NC State, I make sure I go not Harvard. Howard. I, I mean. <laughs> Make sure you understand the difference right. that that that's, that the minds that were fighting and winning these cases, and these cases were hyper local. You're talking about school, that's you, right. uh, separate but equal. You're talking about buses. That's right. All this is local government. Exactly. But <laughs> but what we have to also remember was the conscious decision of Charles Hamilton Houston mm, so to good. come to Howard so good. with a substantial educational background. Mm but to be so dedicated that he said that he was going to develop social engineers mm. through Howard's Law School. Good. That again, you That's will good. graduate with a law degree, but with that duality of a commitment to service. That's good. So Thurgood Marshall comes from Lincoln University, mm. denied opportunity to enter the law school in Maryland, mm. but comes to Howard, like Paul and Murray yes, and sir, countless sir. others, yes, and they become the wow. chief engineers wow. to fight for justice in this country. And he becomes the first African-American to sit on the United States Supreme Court, wow. but he's a graduate. That's right of Lincoln University right. and Howard University Law School. That's right. Give you another example. Here in Raleigh, mm. Fred J. Carnage, mm. for whom Carnage Middle School is named, wow. but it was junior high, whom I knew wow. was a church member and a longtime family friend, graduate of Morgan State University, wow. graduate of Howard University School of Law, wow. comes to Raleigh, is a agent for North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance, wow. opens his own practice, and becomes the only black wow. on the appointed Raleigh School Board wow. at that time. So wow. you see that these wow. men and women who walk through the doors yeah. and the gates of our institutions have historically, but even in contemporary society, yes. continue to be the wow. leaders in their respective communities throughout the country and throughout wow. the world. I appreciate you um, highlighting that because um, all of these nuggets are really not hidden at all, mm -hmm. but it's untold. Um, right. And I'm glad that you put it in the context of history. Now, you were president of St. Augustine University, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes. Can you explain the importance of that school to the history of the city of Raleigh and to enter you? Let me start with not only the city of Raleigh, but the country. Oh, that's good. St. Augustine's good. has produced exceptional men and women mm. who have been giving uh, over our 150-plus year history. Wow. Most HBCUs started out with the foundation as teacher institutions mm. who were producing teachers because you have a, an enslaved population yeah that has no access to education. Well, who's going to provide the teaching? Who's going to help? And so most of our institutions start as teacher institutions. Mm. St. Augustine's teacher institution, as well as uh, faith okay. uh, ministers mm. in the Episcopal Church, founded by the Episcopal Church. All of our institutions have evolved 
from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the clear missions has always been and continues to be providing service. I'm a mm-hmm. proud graduate of North Carolina A&T State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of African-American mm-hmm. engineers mm-hmm. come from wow. either North Carolina A&T, Morgan State, or FAMU. Wow. Can you imagine what the engineering population wow. from those institutions has done to build this country? That's and good. we talked about the medical doctors and mm-hmm. the lawyers as well. One of my one of my many privileges of life mm. has been to be president of my alma mater, wow. to have served St. Augustine's for five years. Mm. As a good friend of mine says, um, divine intervention puts wow. you in places that you had no imagination you would ever uh, serve. So it was my honor to serve. I love my alma mater. I always will and will do everything I can to see it sustained for future generations because as a student, I know Mm -hmm. what St. Augustine's mean. My father attended St. Augustine's. Mm -hmm. My sister attended St. So I know what it has meant personally, but I also know what it means for countless people Mm. to have access to education. And uh, so it it is deep in my heart. I love love her dearly, and until the day I die, I will always do what I can for St. Augustine's. And even when I die, I shall lay there in the chapel in state (laughs) uh, before they carry me over to Mount Hope Cemetery. Yes. And and I, you know, I want to not only um, sit on the historical significance of HBCUs, St. Augustine, but I want to shift to the economic uh, influence. Uh, So for African-Americans, the HBCU was once the only institution that would allow black students to earn a degree. What was the economic impact of a growing educated black population in the South, in the country, in Raleigh, however you want to tell oh, it. Like that, that economic case, I don't, I don't hear often. No, you don't. And it's one that uh, we need to talk more about. Let's, let's talk about the university first. Okay. St. Augustine's, Shaw University, and all of our HBCUs, number one, is a business. Mm. But we just happen to be in the business of education. When you look at our institutions, they give so much to the economic foundation of their local communities as well as the state and the nation. Roughly about 84 million Mm. contributed by Shaw University, about 122 million from St. Augustine's. This is based on a study that was done in 2015 uh, by the North Carolina Independent Colleges and Universities. Mm. Outstanding study. When you talk about the people that are employed on the campus, wow. the economic interest for the supplies and goods that we purchase yeah. as a business. That's good. The employees good. that we have and faculty, but more importantly, think about the economic impact that the students have. That's right. Many That's of right. the students come, but many will stay That's in right. the community That's right. upon That's their right. graduations. That's Look right. at the tax base that they produce. That's right. The intellectual capital That's right. that is given That's from right. these graduates. Right. That 
what makes North Carolina, and now Raleigh is identified mm. as one of the top places in the country, That's good. a point of destination. That's good. That's good. But it is a point of destination in 2023 mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the work That's right. and the contributions of our HBCUs and the African-American community in collaboration with it. We pay taxes. We contribute to the intellectual capital, just like everybody else. So now that Raleigh is a point of destination, I say it's a point of destination because of years of preparation that courageous political leaders, educators, and others, and business leaders help make it you cannot underestimate a Clarence Lightner yes, being the first yes, and only African-American yes, mayor of Raleigh yes, in 1973, yes, a graduate of North Carolina Central University yes, yes, and a business owner, yes, chairman of the board of trustees at St. Augustine's for many, many years, yes, Joseph Sansom, mm. a graduate of Morehouse College, mm, bank executive with Mechanics and Farmers mm. Bank, all of these individuals, yes, countless and countless who contributed yes, to the upward mobility of this city, and now we are a point of destination. Yeah. My only observation and key concern is that as we develop, mm. as we grow, that we don't lose and abandon African-American history That's and it. that the totality of the Raleigh story is not properly told. I served on the Raleigh Historical Properties Commission Mm. for many years, and under the leadership of Ralph Campbell, Mm. uh, Miss Vivian Irvin, and others, a book was written uh, with Linda uh, Henry Simmons, Mm. Linda Edmondson, called Culture Town, Mm. that talks about the African-American communities in this city and how Mm. we needed to preserve those good friend of mine, Carmen Wimberly, has now written a book about African-American Navy classmate. It is a masterful publication. I encourage everyone to read these documents because Smokey Holler is now Glenwood. That's right, that's right, that's that's right. Now you talk about where Shaw University is. You talk about St. Augustine. That's right. All Oberlin, the work that was done there with newly freed African-Americans, building their own communities, method community, Fourth Ward, you know, all of these communities contributed to the vitality of this city. And and you know what's amazing? I I, I once, uh, what I enjoy to do when I go to different cities, I enjoy um, finding a local historian and having that individual walk me around or yes. drive me around. Yes. So Carmen Kaufman, who wrote the the the, yes. the one of the books that That's you mentioned, right. I called a Carmen Wimbley. Carmen Wimbley was when we were in school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's yes, right. yes, that's right. And, and, and she took me in the car, mm-hmm. and the tour was showing me the homes, so that I can see with my own eyes. That's right. The homes of the different leaders in the community, mm-hmm. and she introduced each home. By the by, the HBCU mm-hmm. and by the career. Right. She was showing me that that home ownership, that property tax, like she took me to each neighborhood and she took me through different classes. Yes. So there was striations. Yes. <laughs> within yes. the black community, and it Just was, it as was it is in yes, white That's community. exactly right. Yes. And and she was walking me through the homes, the names, the families, mm-hmm. the first here, the first there. That's right. And it's amazing the footprint that Shaw and Saint Augustine has as HBCUs 
in our city oh, yes. and the upward mobility that it created across the South. Mm -hmm. And so you've run into people who have these stories and these narratives. But that local history, that t those homes that of the of the souls and the people yes. who live there, yes, um, yes. and how I call they, it the know. front porch love. Ah, that's good. The front that's porch good. love. That's good. That's good. You know, growing that's up, good. you would sit. I, I was that's with good. a good friend of mine recently, and we were sitting on her front porch wow. uh, Monday wow. uh, uh, afternoon, just wow. sitting on her front porch. A granddaughter of Charles Henry Boyd, wow. uh, Edna Ballantyne, sitting wow. on her front porch. Wow. True story there. Charles Henry Boyd graduated from Yale wow. in 1896. Wow. An African-American wow. man graduates from Yale in 1896. <laughs> but guess what he does? He comes to St. Augustine's mm. and becomes a professor there. That's good. And worked there for 40 years. Wow. Can, now, you talk about a strong, courageous man wow. to leave Connecticut with a degree from Yale wow. in 1896 <laughs> and move to the South. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And move to the segregated South and say, I want to be a part of the change so that good. happens for this university. Wow. Well, at that time, junior college at that wow. time, yeah. And, and I, I only have a, a few questions left yes, that I want to. Yes. So this this podcast um, tries to help people make sense of local politics, yeah. and HBCUs are often an afterthought. Mm -hmm. They normally think about their city council or school board or whatever it may be, but very rarely on the forefront of their minds is the role of the HBCU. What should we pay more attention to in terms of the role that the HBCUs play in cities and local government? What should what what do you recommend that we see more clearly about their role? Well, first of all, uh, when I was president, uh, I said to my students, "You have ownership mm. in your local government because you are now a resident of the city of Raleigh." Mm, that's good. And we emphasize voter registration. Mm. That's a part of your academic preparation that you have to be citizen. I mean, that's the Ella Baker that's tradition. Right. That's right. You've got right. to be an active right. participant right. in your destination. That's right. And uh, so when you think about the resources that are around our institutions, mm. that you can do, students at North Carolina Central yeah. have a precinct on their campus. Oh, wow. wow. North Carolina A&T, yeah. precinct on their campus. That's right. That's right. That is evidence of the importance of civic engagement. That's good. Because civic engagement, That's in good. my estimation, is just as important as academic That's right. education That's right. because you are a citizen and you have a right, right. to be a part of the, preserving this democ democracy and advancing it mm. and protecting it because we see now that there's a major threat to yeah. democracy. I recommend um, to your listeners two books that I've enjoyed greatly. Mm. One is uh, by Dr. Uh, Favor, who's a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University, and it's called Shelter in the Time of a Storm. Wow. And he gives a historical narrative on how activism on historically black colleges has a long history mm. of engagement and involvement. Mm. The second is uh, 
uh, by uh, Professor Sutell, who has written a book called mm -hmm. Campus to Counter, mm -hmm. Civil Rights uh, Activism. And it's a, it's a strong narrative on 1960 to 1963. Mm -hmm. And it talks about students from Shaw University, St. Augustine's, and North Carolina Central, mm -hmm. and how they were involved actively mm -hmm. in breaking down walls of segregation and discrimination. One of my uh, so strong true. mentors and someone that I admire so much is very prominent in the publication, and that's Dr. David Forbes, oh, yeah. who was wow. a student at Shaw University. Yes. And when our leaders and student leaders at North Carolina a t on February 1st, 1960, mm. set in, but on February 12th, mm. 1960, here in Raleigh, students from Shaw University, really St. Augustine's, uh, with the leadership of students, really good. set in in what at that time was called Cameron Village. Wow. And it was, that was February the 12th, wow. but it was in April of that same year, Easter weekend, wow. that students from HBCUs all across the country assembled here in Raleigh under the leadership of Ella Baker wow. as an executive with the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Council. And then Dr. King was here, wow. uh, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth was here. And on this date, wow. in April of 1960, David Forbes and students formed, wow. Marion Barry and others, form the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, wow. better referred to as SNCC. Wow. And from there, university students, HBCU students throughout the South and throughout the country changed the political landscape wow. of this country. And we sit here today as wow. benefactors right. of that's their right. leadership. So that's why we have to we have to celebrate David Forbes. We have to celebrate Eleanor Nunn. We have to celebrate these young college students who were courageous enough to say we're going to march and we're going to participate in nonviolent movement activities for freedom and democracy. And the fight and the struggle is not over. That's good. And that's why our students must continue. That's why I support Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I support yeah. everything that students do. That's good. That's because good. what they do mm. is setting the, who would have thought that what David yes, Forbes sir. and Ellen did, yes, Nunn did in 1960, that's we'd so be good. the benefactors of uh, so in 2023. That's so good. So that's why I celebrate them yeah. and thank them every chance I have. You, you know what's amazing to me? I've seen a map. And it showed all the sit-ins around the country, and mm -hmm. at least uh, the ones that are are known. Mm -hmm. And it almost aligned neatly with HBCUs. Oh yes, I mean it's almost yes, yes, <laughs> it's yes. almost a direct right. correlation map to that's right. that's HBCUs. Exactly right. And so people question the political, and especially that these are local sit-ins. That's that's, right. that's connected nationally. Yeah, one of one of the biggest. Dr. Roof, you'll appreciate this. One of the biggest one criticism that I received as president, and I took it with such great pride, <laughs> uh, was the polling place at the Tarboro Road Center, mm. Mm. and I would I would lead the march wow. with our students 
from St. Augustus mm. with the pep band out front. Wow. Marching with our students to go vote. Wow. And someone said to me in a in a in a meeting, they said, Oh, the president is just too involved. He's <laughs> he's too engaged. And I said, I take that with a badge of honor. If if that's my criticism, I'll go down fighting every yeah. day of the week. But to see the students yes. Yes. voting yes. Yes. and having yes. with their right to vote. Yes an opportunity to make a decision about the direction yeah. of the city that that's they right. lived in. That's right, that's right, that's right. Why is it students at St. Augustine's wow. cannot have the same that's so access good. That's so good. to good health care and good food? That's right. They got Bojangles, that's right. at that time Kentucky Fried that's Chicken right. and Cookout. That's right. But as a proud graduate of that's North right. Carolina State University, that's right. when that's I was in graduate that's school, right. I could I could get a smoothie, that's I right. could get a salad, that's right. I could have all of that before that's I went right. to my graduate classes. Wow. But but we're in a food desert. That's right. That's right. So you talk about the health disparities wow. and the continuation right. of forms of discrimination. Yes. Yes. We yes. can't get a street skate. Going yeah. to St. Augustine, but yeah. I can get five roundabouts yeah. when I go to North Carolina State. But I'm a proud Wolfpack. That is actually true. But I want you to. But I think we have to be yes. cognizant That's it. That's of it. the unbalanced yeah. distribution of resources. Yes. No. And I and I I want to. This is a question that I personally had, and I, I want to just get your perspective on it. We knew at the time. And I want to. I'm going back to Ella Baker for a second. Mm -hmm. She was in Atlanta before coming to start SNCC. Yes. And most people um, wondered why come back to Raleigh? Why come back to Shaw? Yeah. Why go to HBCU? When, when at this time, you're with King. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you can you can go wherever you want to go. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and I don't you know I don't know if you know I don't know but I would love to get your thoughts on on that relocation. Yeah, it was because uh, she was a proud graduate of Shaw. Mm. She had strong relationships with the Raleigh Wake Citizens Association mm. through her classmate Mrs. Jurgen, mm. uh, Doctor. Uh, Fleming, who was yeah. president of the Raleigh Wakes Association. Yeah. So there was a foundation here. And yeah. remember, Ella Baker was from Warren County, North Carolina. Wow. And she had traveled with her grandfather, who was a minister, throughout Virginia and so. northeastern North Carolina. Okay. And he wanted her to come to Shaw. But when she came to Shaw University, she got that foundation mm. of public service. Okay. And remember, as a black female, mm. she worked for the NAACP wow. in the 40s and 30s and 40s. Wow. And she traveled alone organizing wow. NAACP chapters throughout the South. Wow. So she came to SCLC and she came to this conference with a long history of activism and service. So you. she brought with her a wealth of knowledge of local organizing. Because Ella Baker's foundation was, was that you should not build your legacy on charismatic leadership. Uh, really good. The charismatic leader is not the foundation. That's what good. Ella Baker's 
foundation was is that local people have to have the freedom to organize locally because when that charismatic leader leaves the city, the local people have to institutionalize the foundation for influence at the local level. So she was a strong proponent of local citizen engagement, and to read her and to know her, to read her speeches, to talk to persons who were part. I was very fortunate as a part of my graduate work at North Carolina State to coordinate the 40th, to help coordinate the 40th anniversary of the founding of SNCC uh, when it was held here. Yeah. And uh, at Shaw Shaw University, my professor, Dr. Walter Jackson and Dr. Gail O'Brien and Dr. Floyd Hayes. It it was um, uh, a real campaign to bring the original people back. Julian Bond, Cleveland Sellers, Marion Barry, to bring those individuals back here, Diane Nash and others, and to bring them here to hear from them what the real uh, mission of wow. SNCC, the original mission of SNCC was, and for them to tell you about Ella Baker, wow. and that's something. And then we did a memorial um, in the Raleigh City Museum. Mm. There's a permanent exhibit about the civil rights movement wow. in Raleigh, and a lot of that is due to Vivian Irvin and wow. others who pushed to make sure that was a part of the Raleigh City Museum. And I'm just, I'm, 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 I asked that question. I just appreciate how you have allowed for us to understand the rich history that HBCUs has had in local government, yes. local quality of life, mm-hmm. activism, countrywide. Yes. And so yes. Th- th- I want to close out with this question. What is the future of HBCUs? We, we, we have a drumbeat of questions that gave us why the history was significant, why the story is significant, mm-hmm. why it contributes to the economy of cities. But what do you think is the future of H- HBCU's role in local economies and cities? What, 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 are, you, what are you forecasting? Well, I, I think uh, they, our institutions must continue to be a part of that economic mm-hmm. foundation. I also believe that we have to continue to produce the leaders that mm-hmm. come. You know, so I I see future mayors, I see future state senators, I see future governors, I see future presidents, members of Congress coming from our institutions Mm. as contributors to society. I Mm. see entrepreneurs, I see medical doctors, I see lawyers, I see dentists, I see them all. This country cannot survive without the full participation of all citizens in this country and all educational institutions. And if we are going to be a nation that's going to be globally competitive, Mm. we've got to understand that we cannot afford to leave anyone behind Mm. educationally. So HBCUs are more relevant today than they have ever been because of the intellectual capital the cultural richness that must continue to come from those institutions. Mm-hmm. You cannot survive in this nation mm-hmm. without historically black colleges mm-hmm. and universities. And mm-hmm. so we have to continue to support them. We have to continue to respect and honor their legacy, 
but also understand that we also must keep our eyes onward and upward mm. uh, to the future. Really and so if we have to make modifications, yep. Uh, yep. we will make them. Yep. We've always made them. That's right. You know, that's we right. we aren't farmers anymore. That's right. That's right. That's right. But we need to be. No, that's good. That's good. That's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Doctor Doctor Ward, uh, you are well known in many circles, both national, state, local. How can people follow you? Where can they find you? How can oh, they boy. How can they follow? Well, you? you know, I'm I'm uh, in that Ella Baker tradition. I I don't I don't like to yeah. focus on the person. Ah, that's good. That's good. That's Follow good. the work. Ah, that's good. And I think uh, if you want to know where I am, yeah. always look where good work is being that's done good. for the upward mobility of that's our good. people. Uh, and that's where you'll find me. I decided many, many years ago that old song we've all heard so much in the African-American church is let the work I've done speak for me. Oh, that's good. And when I'm resting in my grave that's and so nothing good. else can be said, let the work I've done speak for me. So that's when so you lay me down mm. at Mount Hope Cemetery so that was founded good. in 1872 so as the old, oldest black cemetery, wow. that's where I shall lay. And, okay. and don't worry about that's so you know, charismatic cameras and that kind of thing. Yeah. Look at the work. That's so and that's good. what the testimony needs to be. And so, so we got a lot of more years to give. Yes. And I'm yes. gonna keep giving. Well, it's it's a it's an honor. I I, I respect your leadership tremendously. Thank you. And I just want to thank you for being on Illogical by Truth, edited by Airfluence, and I uh, look forward to seeing you on the next episode. So thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.